Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No Trump. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Judicial Watch doing as much heavy lifting as possible on the issues that you care about and, frankly, are important to the future of the country. Issues ranging on immigration to COVID-19 in China to the election integrity crisis that continues. A lot to go into. Um, I think we have four lawsuits I need to talk about today. Just four. And this is on top of everything else that's going on in Washington, D.C. You know, and I don't comment on all the politics back and forth in Washington, D.C. as much as some of you might like, uh, because a lot of it is passing and unimportant. Uh, But what I do think is important, um, and I will spend a minute or two on this, is the the cognitive challenges of Joe Biden. I know, I don't know if I'm allowed, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this. Maybe I'll get censored for talking about it. But I'm sure many of you who watched the uh, uh, the press con- conference from yesterday. You saw his fall going up the stairs in uh, to Air Force One the other day. And I guess everyone falls. It's probably not the end of the world. But what struck me about his fall is was his seeming inability to right himself up again and falling not once, but twice, but three times. And uh, the evident cognitive decline, I think that you saw firsthand uh, on uh, television if you were watching his press conference. Now, has he been diagnosed? I don't know. But all we can do is judge by someone by his behavior in public. And Joe Biden's behavior raises significant concerns about his cognitive abilities and, you know, at least with the fall, his physical abilities. And of course, as you know, if you've ever had any family member uh, who suffered cognitive decline, dementia or anything else, Cognitive decline and physical decline often go hand in hand. So it's very concerning. Um, you know, it's not just us Americans who are watching uh, a weakened Joe Biden uh, uh, engage in the office of the presidency, but our adversaries and um, every foreign government's watching this with very closely. And, you know, I fear they see opportunities potentially. It, uh, when you have a, a quite visibly weakened president. And uh, so I'm, I'm not quite sure what's to be done about it. I know constitutionally what could be done about it. And I don't know constitutionally or or politically or reasonably we're at that stage yet. Uh, but it's something we have to keep an eye on. And uh, the left media doesn't want to talk about it. Uh, they are interested in coddling Joe Biden. Uh, so they don't want to talk about anything. I mean, there's news this week about uh, I shouldn't say they don't want to talk about anything. They don't want to talk about anything negative about Joe Biden. Uh, there's news this week that uh, Joe Biden's wife, excuse me, that Hunter Biden's wife had thrown a gun in a dumpster and lost the gun and the Secret Service and the FBI swooped in to try to, it looks like, take records that, that they shouldn't have to protect um, information about uh, losing the gun from getting out. No questions about that. 
no questions about Hunter Biden generally and what happened with um, China and Ukraine. I mean, that's gone down the memory hole. There needs to be a special counsel. Now, I'm not naive as to whether a special counsel is going to do the right thing, i.e. Durham. But under the Justice Department rules, there has to be a special counsel when there's a conflict of interest here. And obviously, is there a conflict of interest? No, but the Justice Department is focused on, and all the Biden administration, practically speaking, their law enforcement apparatus, is focused on targeting or making it appear they're targeting for political purposes, because they like the consequences politically of making it appear they're targeting Biden's political opposition. They're still trying to use the Capitol riot to justify widespread monitoring of uh, everyday Americans' political opinions and criminalization of the same. And uh, you can see that with the Justice Department's uh, focus on the Capitol riot prosecutions in the sense uh, many critics have accused them of overcharging people. Uh, The courts have raised concerns seemingly about uh, the rhetoric associated with the Justice Department's description of these cases, rhetoric not justified either by the law and or justified by ethics rules in the sense that they're trying to inflame the jury pool. So uh, we're we're in we're in dire straits as in terms of um, having confidence in the Justice Department and the FBI, as you may know, if you've been watching Judicial Watch for some time, you know that I've had little confidence in the Justice Department and the FBI for years now. And many of the same individuals responsible for the corruption during the Obama administration, EA never left, never left because they were just in, in, embedded in the civil service and the Justice Department, et cetera. Some of them are being rehired by Biden. And confirmed by Republicans in the Senate with nary an objection or not of enough of an objection. So um, we're, this highlights the importance of Judicial Watch's work. Now, we can't prosecute anyone, uh, but we can get information about what's going on so the American people know what's up and what's down, and that law enforcement has either less excuse to do the right thing or no leeway to do the wrong thing because we've exposed what's the truth behind some of their activities. So. Uh, you know, we're, we're facing a crisis with Joe Biden. Uh, we've got the border crisis. Uh, we have uh, the spending crisis. With all due respect to our, uh, our friends in the Trump administration, there was a bit of a spending crisis, uh, blessed by too many Republicans as well during the Trump administration. Spending was out of control. Now it's just completely out of control. $1.9 trillion in, in uh, money, much of which is designed just to provide uh, cash to Biden's political allies. Now they're talking trillions of dollars or more in spending. So our country is, 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 is being buffeted by the radical left and uh, the corrupt agenda that often accompanies their policy proposals, because it's not the policy disagreements that we have issues with. It's the underlying corruption 
And as conservatives, we understand that big government means big corruption often. And now the government's bigger than ever. Uh, there are less checks on it than ever. And uh, we have a media class that has uh, been completely act. Um, uh, I should try to think of the right word. That has been completely overtaken or, uh, or uh, sublimated to the goals of the government class. And so anyone who objects to government or big government or specifically the left agenda being pushed now will be targeted by the media class. I mean, you saw this this week where you had uh, big tech companies go into Congress this week uh, for, uh, I think, the third or fourth hearing, as best I can tell, within the last six months or so. And most of the Democrats on that committee uh, spent their time yelling at these big tech companies to suppress conservatives. So you have government agencies, excuse me, government officials, elected officials, encouraging private companies to censor Americans. When you hear the word fascism being thrown around by the left, that's actually the type of word that's appropriate here. Big corporations working in lockstep with the government under threat or for ideological reasons, sympathetic reasons, pursuing the political opposition and trying to destroy them. So that's, that's the current state of affairs now. And this is why we have Judicial Watch to keep on fighting against that, uh, to expose what's going on and telling the truth, just telling the truth. So I know one of the big issues that are of concern to you is uh, election integrity. The left is in an uproar this week because the Georgia legislature uh, passed a law that was signed into law uh, by the governor, I think, uh, just last night or the day before. Uh, that um, increased election security in mail balloting, uh, had some prohibitions on ballot harvesting and things like that. And of course, the left uh, is in an uproar. Uh, Joe Biden, in one of his out-of-control moments during the press conference, uh, suggested that was Jim Crow. It was racist and sick to require voter ID security measures tied to absentee ballots. It's sick. So this is just, the left is desperate to defend its ability uh, to uh, keep elections unsecure. They oppose voter ID. They oppose cleaning up the rolls. They oppose the very concept of election day, that you vote on election day, not election month or election week or or season. And that undermines confidence in the elections. So by securing elections, increasing security, you're protecting elections. You're protecting democracy. You're protecting the vote. And the left, despite having no evidence, uh, suggests that uh, election security measures are a um, 
promoted for improper racist reasons. And that's just a smear and a scandal. It's a smear, obviously, but it's a scandal when politicians who should know better promote that. So it's likely states uh, that you live in will be considering similar measures, and I encourage you to communicate with your state legislatures and governors about what you think about that. You want voter ID? It's, you're probably living in a state that doesn't have it or has a weak version of it. You don't like mail-in balloting? Well, you know, based in 2020, you're probably living in a state that made it easier uh, to vote in an, un- in an unexcused way through mail-in balloting. What do I mean by that? I mean, you just get, you could mail in the ballot for no reason at all, practically speaking. It used to be that absentee balloting was severely restricted. Now, some states had all mail-in balloting, which is another big issue. So if you want your if you want to have confidence in the way your elections are administered in terms of being able to, to ascertain and combat and stop fraud, you know, you should become active. Communicate with your legislatures, communicate with your governors. And now in Congress, what they're trying to do is is, uh, nationalize what went on in 2020. So in 2020, the left um, had a state-by-state fight they had to engage in to weaken election integrity measures, laws. Now, what they're trying to do at the federal level, it's called um, H.R. 1 or Senate 1, is... uh, pass a bill that would essentially eliminate voter ID, uh, make it harder to clean up voter lists, make it harder to challenge ballots that you think might be illegal, uh, nationalize the idea that you can ballot harvest. So all sorts of things that would weaken election integrity. And uh, so you've got to contact your members of Congress. It's already passed out of the House. Uh, Now the question is, is it going to be in the Senate? And the big fight now in the Senate is because uh, they don't have the 60 votes to bypass the filibusters, whether they're going to use this voting rights bill, which actually undermines voting rights by making votes less secure. Whether they're going to use that as an excuse to bypass the filibuster. Now, Joe Biden said uh, the filibuster is a, as a relic of the Jim Crow era. Now, he's used the filibuster and supported the filibuster against Supreme Court Justice Alito. So is it Jim Crow? Was it Jim Crow Joe now when he was supporting the filibuster or Obama, who said who who first made this race? And he's not the first one, but it was the leftist smear promoted it more widely. Obama used the filibuster. I'm not personally a fan of the filibuster. I'm not. I think it's constitutionally suspect. I've always thought so. But, you know, you may not know this, but we sued about it. And uh, the court said we didn't have standing and essentially endorsed the filibuster. So, you know, I may have my personal views, but that's the reality. There is a filibuster. And um, it's a filibuster because most senators don't like to vote on tough issues. And the filibuster decreases the number of tough issues they have to vote for in an accountable way. That's why there's a filibuster. It's not because of racism. It's because senators are scaredy cats. They don't like voting in accountable ways, fashions in the Senate. 
So the filibuster goes the way of the dodo bird. Um, bad policies will likely be passed into law. But, you know, that's that's a political fight. But the point is, it's not racist. And the hypocrisy is just remarkable. Uh, but getting back to Georgia, uh, we're all supposed to forget that there were major controversies about how Georgia handled its election and uh, the uh, the back and forth that happened after the election. Now, what Judicial Watch has done is that we have hundreds of, I shouldn't say hundreds, but dozens of FOIAs, Freedom of Information Act requests, open records requests at the state and federal level uh, to get what I call the receipts about the 2020 election. What happened? What, what was behind the changes in the laws that uh, struck um, suspicion into the hearts of tens of millions of voters about how the election was handled. And accordingly, Judicial Watch has asked the, uh, asked the Georgia State Secretary of State's office for documents about uh, this consent decree they entered into uh, before the election that essentially uh, allowed it, uh, made it easier for people to vote by mail without much accountability, or at least in my view, sufficient accountability in terms of uh, guards against fraud and such. And Judicial Watch um, also sued and asked for, well, we got we asked for records about this uh, infamous call between then-President Trump and Secretary of State Raffensperger's office that was recorded and then leaked. Now, the recordation, I think, is suspect. I think it's technically legal to record in Georgia if one person agrees, but I'm not sure if the recording was made in Georgia. And I'm not sure if leaking the calls is legal or not. But either way, we want information about the, the that recording and the call and how it was handled. And so we haven't gotten the records from the Secretary of State's office. So we've sued in Georgia State Court. We have two new lawsuits on the Georgia election. One for records about this consent decree. The second for records about the phone call. And um, the consent decree goes back to March 6th of last year, where the Secretary of State and other officials signed a consent decree with the Democratic Party of Congress, the Democratic Party of Georgia, the Democratic Senatorial Committee, the Democratic Congressional Committee, that, as I say, critics contend improperly weakened anti-fraud measures uh, related uh, to absentee ballots. And then there was this phone call, as I said, in January 2021 between President Trump and Raffensperger that discussed Trump's concerns about voter fraud in Georgia. And the conversation became controversial after Raffensperger uh, leaked the recording of the call to The Washington Post. You know, it's really simple. We want to know more about what happened in Georgia in 2020 and hiding key records about the controversial settlement agreement and the president's phone call at Rassenberger prevent Americans from knowing the full story and deciding for themselves what to think about the elections in Georgia. Really simple. So this is the beginning, the first of many lawsuits, in my view. Um, 
of course, we've got to get the lawyers, to, Judicial Watch lawyers to sue additional states. But, you know, we, we, we know what's out there and we're going to do more. And what's remarkable is, is that this Georgia was historic, right? It was historic. The changes in election law led to historic victories, it looks like. For Joe Biden and two Democratic senators, because those same rules were used in the runoffs. We want the details. How did that consent decree come off? I wouldn't have signed it. Some think it was some think it was unconstitutional. And this is what I love about Judicial Watch. You know, we're all supposed to everything's supposed to go into the memory hole, the memory hole in this decrepit city. A judicial watch refuses to go away. We're consistent and persistent and diligent. So, oh, another big issue. So in addition to election integrity, we have the immigration crisis. We filed a lawsuit. Uh, one of the reasons we have an immigration crisis that ebbs and flows depending on the lack or their, the lack or strength of enforcement here in the United States are sanctuary policies in virtually every major city in the country. And one of the worst sanctuary policies is in San Francisco. And Judicial Watch sued on behalf of a taxpayer in San Francisco who says um, the lawsuit alleges the sanctuary policy is illegal and tax dollars in California can't be used. Uh, to promote or uh, on behalf to be to promote or affect uh, illegal policies. Simple, ca- simple case, right? So they tried to shut it down, and thankfully the court allowed it to go forward. And as a result, we were able to obtain significant discovery from the San Francisco Sheriff's Department. And uh, now we're about to fight the next stage of the battle, whether. Uh, the court allows it to go to trial. It's already been set for trial, but the left is are uh, the defendants are coming in and saying, "Oh no, all the evidence deduced to date shows that they should win on quote summary judgment and should be summarily dismissed." So, as part of that process, Judicial Watch presented its evidence to the court. And for instance, we found that there were at least 2,400 illegal alien criminals released under San Francisco's office sanctuary policy. And our expert looked at the worst of the worst, the ones even that the secretary, excuse me, the sheriff's department admitted, these are the people we want to be examining. These are the sorts of people they were examining. A citizen of Cuba faced charges for burglary and parole violations with a prior burglary conviction. A a citizen of Vietnam faced charges for robbery, battery, and assault. Citizen of Ethiopia was charged with assault with a deadly weapon. Citizen of Mexico had a long list of current and prior offenses, including convictions for assault with a deadly weapon, robbery, felony assault, false imprisonment, burglary. The individual appeared to have been arrested at least nine times between January of 2015 and March of 2020. So it goes on and on. Of course, none of these folks, it looks like, were turned over to ICE for consideration for deportation. It's really outrageous. And uh, Judicial Watch has compiled tremendous information showing that even under Biden's deportation stand down, practically speaking, these folks would have been subject to removal from the United States for these types of crimes. As I said, our lawsuit shows that San Francisco sheriff's policy is not only unlawful, but it is a clear and present danger to the public safety. And so this is on top of the crisis we're facing at the border, 
as a result of Joe Biden's changes to policies. The media is trying to give him cover. They're complaining that he's actually doing what the law requires, which is uh, uh, making sure that individuals crossing the border illegally are processed before they go anywhere. Now, under the Trump administration, a lot of those individuals have never crossed the border. But Joe Biden has changed the rules, and I'm not going to belabor it because I went over it with you last week, in a way that has resulted in this ongoing crisis. And it's not just little kids, they're teenagers and adults who are crossing the border in larger numbers because, A, he's weakened our policies at the border, B, he's weakened interior enforcement. The signal Joe Biden has sent to every alien who wants to travel here illegally is, if you get here and get past the border, you're free and clear. So unsurprisingly, potentially millions are going to follow up on that and try to cross here illegally. And and Joe Biden's refusal to enforce the law. I mean, it's one thing, you know, if he, look, he can say, look, I disagree with Trump's policies on asylum. I think he should have done it the old way, which was allowing people to cross into the country, come up with obviously dubious claims of asylum. They get a court date and they never show up again. And Biden wants to reinstitute that policy because Trump's policy was more or less, you can apply for asylum and we'll consider it, but you have to do it elsewhere outside the United States because you're not going to gain the system. So we've got this border crisis and we could have a wall 100 feet high. But if you've got sanctuary policies like San Francisco's, they won't work because what San Francisco is telling illegal aliens and criminal legal aliens, you do whatever you want, practically speaking. A, we, we're really not going to care if you're here illegally. And even if you commit a crime, in addition to being here illegally, which is often always a crime, we're not going to turn you into ICE, despite what the law says. That's the state of play in San Francisco. And Judicial Watch is challenging that case challenging that policy, that sanctuary policy. There's a similar policy in Santa Clara, California, uh, which is just south of San Francisco. We've got a similar case. So we'll see how that case goes as well. But I, I, I encourage you to read the full brief. We, uh, we spent a lot of time and effort and money to try to defend the rule of law there. And we hope the court uh, gives us the trial that he said, or you know, we perceive the trial. But the information there is devastating, irrespective of whether we, quote, win or not. The information is devastating. It shows that San Francisco is acting contrary not only to the rule of law, but placing people at grave risk, at grave risk. And I'm I'm so proud of the work we've done there. And we can only do it with your support. So I appreciate your work, your support of our work in that regard as well. Uh, The other big issue is COVID-19. I know even by saying the word COVID-19, it means that this video will be less likely to be shown and more difficult to share on social media. Because as I said, Big Tech is uh, policing 
any discussions of COVID-19 because um, uh, they are on behalf of government enterprises who are particular who are pushing in particular narrative on COVID-19, suppressing discussion about it. Uh, But Judicial Watch is uh, coming up with facts and information about uh, COVID-19 and Wuhan and China and all of that that is just remarkable. Uh, We've already uncovered, for instance, how Fauci's uh, NIH uh, and um, I think he has one of the so NIH has a bunch of institutes, National Institutes of Health, and one of the institutes underneath it is the National, I think, Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, of which Mr. Uh, Dr. Fauci is the head. And we uncovered records, thanks to a lawsuit we filed on behalf of the Daily Caller News Foundation, showing that Fauci's NIH, uh, he and his deputy, uh, A, Fauci authorized a release that went out of its way to praise China in terms of its response to COVID, and then B, they were signing off on die. They were signing confidentiality agreements whose terms were dictated by China, and they had to get China's approval to release certain information. All of this thanks to WHO, which Biden, by the way, got the United States back into and is still kowtowing to China. So that all being said, um, the other big, uh, another big issue is where the virus came from. Now, it obviously originated in China, and the question is, did it come from um, uh, an animal human transmission, or some alleged, was it uh, the result of a, a virus escaping from a lab there? And there's a big lab in Wuhan called the, uh, Wuhan, uh, the Wuhan Institute for Virology, and uh, the United States, indirect, directly and indirectly, has provided money to that institute. So it's a big controversy. And so what Judicial Watch wanted to do was find out where, um, how this money was being spent and what it was being spent on by Fauci's agency. And we've been asking for about a year. I think we asked in April of last year, and we're still getting the runaround. I I could say, can you believe it? Well, you believe it, right? So we're still getting the runaround. We asked for all internal communications regarding the Wuhan Institute of Virology in Wuhan, China, all agreements and contact contracts and related documents between the Fauci Agency and the Wuhan Institute, and all records, including agreements, fund disbursement records, and related communications regarding a reported $3.7 million in grants provided to NIH by NIH, your tax dollars, to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. In April 2020, the Daily Mail first reported the documents show the Wuhan Institute of Virology undertook coronavirus experiments on mammals captured more than a thousand miles away in Yunnan, funded by a $3.7 million grant from the U.S. government. The NIH in April 2020 suspended funding to the grant, uh, which was to the nonprofit Echo Health Alliance that had previously established a partnership with the Virology Institute in Wuhan, China. But in August, gave, but in, so they suspended it because the news got out that we gave money to this Echo Alliance, uh, this, excuse me, this, this Echo Health Alliance. They were giving money to the Wuhan Institute. People went ballistic. The tax dollars were being used that way. So they shut it down. So what did they do next? They waited a few months 
and gave another grant of $7.5 million, reportedly to, quote, focus on Southeast Asia and the emergence of coronavirus, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know how that money's being spent. So we want documents about it. For almost a year, Dr. Fauci's agency has stonewalled Judicial Watch's request, a lawful request. So this is, this is an outlaw response. FOIA law requires documents be turned over within a certain amount of time. And if they're not turned over, there has to be justification for the withholding. And that's not happening. So the agency's outside the laws, about far as I'm concerned. We want to know about the connections to this controversial Wuhan laboratory. The American people have a right to know about Dr. Fauci's National Institute, well, you know, his Allergy Institute and Infectious Disease Institute, their involvement with the infamous Wuhan Institute of Virology. I mean, this story about the U.S. funding for the Wuhan Institute's work in coronaviruses and other things like that. It's been out there a long time. Why is Judicial Watch the one suing for the information or having to sue for the information? They have something to hide? In my experience, if they turn turn over documents that they should be turning over under law, it's because not it's not because of the bureaucracy is just too slow. It's usually because they have something to hide. That's that's the truth. You know, and, and, you know, and, and the issue with China, you know, where in many ways, so much of D.C. is oblivious and doesn't really care about the national security threats of China and the threats to your individual rights and liberties from China. Uh, there was a, um, a massive breach of the Office of Personnel Management Systems because uh, they keep the uh, personnel files of virtually every federal worker. I think in contractors too. I'm not sure about that. And it's sensitive information. I mean, imagine your per employment personnel file, practically speaking. Security clearances, things like that. And there was a massive breach uh, that was could have been prevented, but wasn't. And uh, Judicial Watch uh, wants information about it. It happened during the Obama administration, and everyone simply forgot about it. Millions of records were compromised. I mean, I was doing some research and preparing for the release. And, uh, I mean, we, we, we had to stop sending certain people over to China because we feared they had been exposed as a result of this breach. Now, what do we know for sure it was China? No, because China will never admit it, but they kind of know, practically speaking, it was China. But the real interesting thing on top of this is, you know, around in 2009, 2012, we had federal government officials and employees going over to China for training. Training. So besides the offensive nature of that type of activity, just inherently, think of the opportunities for national security and other security breaches as a result of sending our employees over to China. So we asked for records about that whole system. I mean, look, 
this is what the Chinese say about what those things, uh, what those trainings talked about. U.S. officials selected by the Federal Executive Institute went to a university in China, and this is the quote from the Chinese Communist Outlet, for, quote, a one-week intensive training program, which included lectures on the China's communist system. So we have OPM officials potentially going to China. And around the same or shortly thereafter, we have breaches of security of that same agency. Coincidence? I don't know. But this is another important lawsuit that Congress, you know, they've been they've been asking questions about it. They haven't gotten anywhere. The bre- the data breach. I mean, they spent all this time on uh, the uh, alleged uh, uh, Russia breach of the DNC servers. But have they spent similar amount of time, the Justice Department, on the breach of a system that led to millions of Americans having their personal data stolen and hacked? I don't think so. There's no evidence of it. I think they've arrested one person and I don't think anything's happened, practically speaking, on that since. So you name it, national security, immigration, election integrity. The coronavirus crisis, Judicial Watch is on the front lines demanding accountability from the government and in the case of immigration, trying to stop the government from engaging in illegal activity that is, that is, well, we already know, has almost certainly led to the deaths and injury and who knows what else of American citizens. So this is why you should be supporting Judicial Watch. I guess I should be asking, I shouldn't be angry about it. This is why you should be supporting Judicial Watch. This is the great work we're doing, and I'm proud to be able to do it. So with that, I hope you have a great week, and I will see you next week here on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.